Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. The subject that I'm using this morning, as you notice in the bulletin perhaps, the penalty of being useless. Uh, one one person, I won't say who, uh, this morning said he was going to leave after Sunday school because he didn't want to learn how useless he was. I won't mention who that was. Uh, however, I notice he stayed, so maybe he wants to find out. Uh, I doubt he'll come quite to that. But uh, <laughs> this is the, the title that I've given it. Luke chapter 13, the first nine verses. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall also likewise perish. Of those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall also likewise perish. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? He answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let us unite our hearts together in just a moment of prayer. Our Father, we pray now that you would open our minds and our hearts to the understanding of your word as we deliberate upon this parable that you have given us of the fig tree. If there is anyone in this congregation this morning that does not know you as Lord and Savior, we ask that you would send your spirit to deal especially with those individuals and those of us who claim you as Lord and Savior who have need this morning to bring our lives more in relationship to you than they are now that you would speak to us that we might respond accordingly to the pleading of your spirit for it is in your name that we pray Amen Jesus used parables in his ministry on quite a number of occasions. He used these parables to teach lessons so that they would be easier understood. He talked about life in his parables on many occasions and about the privileges that we have of being a part of his kingdom, about the opportunities that are ours, about the responsibilities that we have, he gave us some warnings in his parables. He talked about some perils that uh, we would face. In this particular peril, 
or parable rather, in this particular parable, he talks about the penalty for being useless or for being fruitless. You could use either word, I think. To the nation of Israel, on one occasion he told them that the kingdom of God would be taken away from them and would be given to a nation that would bring forth much fruit. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, if you want to look it up. A nation would be penalized for being fruitless. The Hebrew nation, just 40 years after that statement, ceased to be a nation and did not become one again until just in recent years, in most of your memory, you can recall that Israel finally became a nation. The kingdom of God would be taken away and would be given to nations that would be fruitful. But he says the same thing to individuals as well. He says say, the similar things or the same thing to churches. You can go over to the book of Revelation and you can find their messages to seven churches in Asia Minor that carry over to today's world. And we can find there the, the lessons that if we are not fruitful, if we do not produce for the kingdom of God, that he would withhold or withdraw our candle from, it, from its candlestick. I'm not going to speak of those things this morning, but I believe that we can take the parable here in the 6th through the ninth verses of this chapter 13 in Luke, and we can find some personal comparisons and personal relationships that we need to be aware of. The first thing that I would like for us to notice as we look at this parable that Jesus speaks of God's absolute ownership. God's absolute ownership. Back in the book of Isaiah, you want to turn back there with me to the fifth chapter, and we shall read the first five verses. This is what we find in Isaiah chapter 5, the first five verses. He says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Israel, and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, twixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard than I that I have not done to it. Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes, now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the heads thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the walls thereof, and it shall be trodden down. He is speaking of God's vineyard. And throughout this particular passage from Isaiah, he makes note of the fact that it belongs to God. In the first verse, he calls it his vineyard. In the third, fourth, and fifth verses, 
he refers to it as my vineyard. And the first thing that we can recognize as we look at the parable that Jesus gave us of a man who had a vineyard and planted a fig tree in it was that it belonged to someone. And we would therefore correlate the physical parable to the Lord's wishing to teach us that it is God's vineyard. God owns this world and all that, in it, that is in it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is God's creation. In the very beginning of the scripture and in the first chapter and the first verse of Genesis, the scripture tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we're not going to speak about the creation this morning, nor any of the creation stories, but I think we can find in that one verse a complete creation story. And we find the owner of this creation is God himself. Now, man does not yet, even in today's world, with all of the enlightenment that we have, recognize that God is the creator. There are many people who would teach that this world simply has evolved without an explanation of how this evolution took place. And I also am not speaking of evolution this morning. I have my, my beliefs and my theories on evolution, and that's another subject that we'll not deal with. Some of you may believe in evolution. I don't know. And maybe you'll think that you did evolve from the monkey, and probably some of you did, I, I suspect, you know. Uh, Harold, I think your wife thinks that, that uh, probably you were one of those that evolved from a lower species. Well, let me tell you, my species started higher than that. I don't know about yours, but I cannot find anywhere in the scripture where Adam evolved from a lower species. God created this world in the beginning, and then further over in the book of Genesis, we find that God created man. And there is no indications in the scriptures there is no real indication in true science that there is a relationship. And I think we can prove those points by the scripture. And some night in Bible study, if you want to do that, we'll delve into that subject, but not this morning. God is the creator. Secondly, we can find that God is repudiated to be the owner. This is my father's world, we sing. And we read then from Psalm 24, 1. I'm going to go back and read it again and read it more in entirety and read a couple of verses from the 24th chapter of Psalm. And the very first word, and the first verse, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, The world and they that dwell therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. The earth is the Lord's, but not just the earth. What did he say? The world and all that dwell therein. We cannot therefore deny the fact that everything and everyone belongs to God. To disclaim that is in opposition to God's word. There has been no ownership of anything abused like the ownership of God. 
We, generally speaking, respect each other's property. But man does not respect the property of God. We have abused it as great as any abuse that, man, that we could mention. Back in 1 Kings, I'm not going back and read anything, but in the 21st chapter of 1 Kings, we have the story of Ahab's desire. King Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. He went to Naboth and asked that he might buy it or might trade another piece of property for it. And Naboth said, no, it's not for sale and I will not trade. And this hurt the feelings of King Ahab, something fierce. And he went home and cried and moaned about it and laid on his bed and sobbed because he couldn't have what he wanted. And his wife came in, Jezebel, and said, what's the matter with you? He told her how he wanted this particular piece of property so bad and Naboth wouldn't sell it to him and wouldn't trade it to him. And so she began to connive until finally she had killed Naboth and then told her husband that he could go out now and claim that vineyard because Naboth no longer was alive. She abused the privilege of ownership. He abused the privilege of ownership. Mankind today is abusing this world, its, its physical components, its human components, its spiritual components, to the point that I can hardly imagine why God allows us to continue. We've altered the physical makeup of this world. Um, we have moved and changed and built and torn down and created such great catastrophes as the world has ever known because we think we have a better plan. All of you are aware of Bill Cosby, the comedian. Some of you may have heard his little, little thing on Noah. I'm not good at... at um, mimicking him, but I want to, to tell you about that little thing. I heard it the first time when I was on airplane to Chicago one time, and I sat there and laughed myself silly until I was recognizing everybody on the plane was looking at me, and I sort of shut up and behaved myself. But I heard him give this, and I thought it was the funniest thing I had ever heard in my life. You see, Bill Cosby depicts himself as Noah, and he's having a conversation with God, and God tells him to build an ark. And so out in his front yard, he's building this ark, and all the neighbors come by and say, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building an ark. And they say, what's an ark? He said, I'm not going to tell you. And they keep on playing, oh, at least give us a little hint. He said, all right, I'll give you a little hint. How long can you tread water? So the ark goes on being built, and and uh, God tells Noah to put in the ark two by twos, all the animals, and he does so. And finally God says, Noah, you've made a mistake. You've got to take one of those hippos out of there. You've got two males. And I told you to put a male and a female in there. And Noah says, I'm not going to take that thing out. Do you realize how much trouble I had getting it in there? And besides, who's going to clean out that mess down there in the bottom of the, of the ark? I'm not going to do it. If you want that hippo out of there, you get him out. God says, Noah, what? How long can you tread water? 
money goes on, but that's enough of it. Noah had a better idea, you see. We all have better ideas as to what ought to be done. And therefore, we do not recognize that God is the owner, God is the creator, and finally, God is the sustainer. God is the sustainer. He is the one that makes life. So the first thing that we can find from this parable is that Jesus is telling us that God has absolute ownership. The second thing he's telling us is that God has a right to a return on his investment. God has a right to a return on his investment. Nobody will dispute the fact that anybody who invests money has a right to a proper return on his investment. I used to own a farm and I had cattle on that farm and when one of my cows would not produce a calf, I'd have a little talk with her and I'd say, now look, I'm going to give you one more year and if you don't produce, you're going to be hamburger. And that's exactly the way it was. She went to market. Because we expect a return and have a right to a return on our investment, parents have a right to a return on the investment that they have on their children. Sometimes we get a good return and sometimes we're disappointed, but nevertheless, the right for a return is there. Jesus gave us a parable of, of a man who gave his servants certain amounts of money, and they represented his talents, ten, five, and one, and there's another parable of different amounts. And he said, I want you to take this and use it, and when I return, I want you to, to present it to me again with usury or with interest, if you please. And two of them did a good job, and the one who only got the one talent came and he pleaded with the Lord, but I was afraid that I might lose it, that I might have a poor investment, and you wouldn't get anything back, and I just kept it, and here it is. And the Lord was very unhappy because he said, well, why didn't you at least put it in the bank and let it draw interest that I can have my return with interest. This man in the parable went into his vineyard and here he had uh, prepared a fig tree. He had carefully selected it. He had carefully planted it and cultivated it. And he had tended it. And he had protected it. And he expected it to have fig, uh, fig, uh, figs on it. The fig tree certainly ought to produce. He did not expect it to produce grapefruit. He didn't expect it to produce apples. He expected it only to produce what it was capable of producing. And my point in making here in making this point is that we are not all expected to be uh, of the same level in production. We are simply expected to produce what our capabilities are. Use that talent that we have been given. Use the abilities that we have to produce for the kingdom of God. The redeemed are expected to produce. God created Adam and he placed him in the Garden of Eden and he gave him a commandment. He said to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Be fruitful. In John 15, 8, the Lord told us, Herein is my Father glorified if you bear much fruit. This is our command. This is our expectation. God has a right to expect us as his redeemed to produce something. He has a right to expect a return on his investment. Now Jesus, thirdly, speaks of a certain limitation to 
divine patience. This is my third point. There is a limitation to God's patience. The owner of the vineyard went out into the vineyard, and he looked at his trees, and he saw this one that had not produced. For three years it had not produced. And he said to the caretaker of the vineyard, Why is it still here? Why is it cumbering the ground? Get rid of it. I don't know how many of you have ever been sent out into the cornfield to pull suckers. You know what that is? Most of you do. You younger people won't have the slightest idea of what that is. I know. My grandfather used to send me out to the cornfield. I would swear it was a thousand-acre cornfield. It was only one acre, but it felt like a thousand. My job was to pull off the suckers. Those growth on the side of the main stalk that would do nothing but siphon from the plant the energies that were there and would not produce any corn at all. There are lots of suckers in this world who desire to stay close enough to the kingdom of God to be identified with it, but yet without ever being a part of it and without ever producing anything as a consequence. The church is expected to be a body that can be drawn upon, and it certainly ought to be. And many people do not uh, show anything in return. The church building is expected to be used for weddings and for funerals and all of that, and that's great and that's good. But we are expected to be as a part of the body of Christ as the church, a body that produces something. Never forget an experience I had of marrying a young couple. They weren't members of the church. Neither one of them were Christian. And as far as I know, knew neither one of them had ever been to church. They wanted the wedding in the church, and the family was members of the church, and they wanted it in the church, and so we had the wedding in the church. A couple of years later, I got a call uh, from this couple, and they said, we want to get married again. They had gotten divorced, and they had decided to make up and get married again. And so we had a pretty serious conversation, talked at some length, counseling. And they assured me that this was it. They were never going to have any problems again. They'd learned their lesson and the whole bit. You've experienced some of those things. The next time I got a call, it was from the girl's mother, and this time it was to preach the girl's funeral. She was 21 at this time. She was out in an automobile with somebody she ought not been with. It was not her husband, and they had an automobile wreck, and she was killed. And, of course, I preached the funeral, but when I read the obituary, the obituary said she was a member of the church. And I went hastily to the membership roles of the church to find out if I had somehow made a mistake. No, I had not made a mistake. And I inquired of the family as to why she was listed in the paper as being a member of the church. And let me summarize it this way. They wanted the identification. It made them feel better. It soothed their feelings a little bit. If they could at least say to the public, she was a member of the church, which was to be translated, she was going to heaven. A sucker. Who 
Jonah was producing nothing for the kingdom of God but wanted to stay close enough to the affairs of the church to make it look like that they were a productive plant when they were covering up the ground and producing nothing. To a person who is a non-Christian, if you are one this morning, let me say this to you. That it is not always another day available. There is not always another day available. There comes a time when it is possible for the patience of God to wear so thin that he will say, that's it. And I will quote to you from Proverbs 29, verse 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. I cannot promise you and the church cannot promise you if you are not a Christian today that you will always have a chance. You may be cut off without remedy. But likewise to the members of the church, he's going to look at us and say, what's he doing here? He's not producing. Which brings me to my fourth and final point. The Lord says, well, now let me try a little longer. Let me try a little longer. I want to call this something. You might want to write this down and think about it a little bit. I'm going to call this the gospel of the second chance. It's the only kind of second chance I know of. The gospel of the second chance, when the Lord says, wait a little while yet. Let me see if I can't get that fig tree to produce. If I can't in another year, okay, and we'll cut it down. I think we need to stop and evaluate our performance. Are we productive for the Lord? Or are we indifferent and cold, or perhaps lukewarm, like the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation? When the Lord said to the church of Laodicea, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. What's he saying? The Lord is saying, I'd much rather have a cold individual, one who has no desires, than one who simply holds on and siphons off like a sucker. But what he really wants is someone who is on fire for the Lord. I think we need to decide if this is God's Word. And if it is God's Word, we need to read it and heed it. Read it and heed it. I think we need to decide if a conversation with God has any value. If it does, that we ought to pray and pray fervently from the depths of our heart to the Lord and listen to what he has to say. I think we need to decide if the church has any value and if it has value to support it with all our being. I think it's time for church members to get out of the lackadaisical attitudes that they're in and be supportive. There is no acceptable reason in God's mind and heart for people to belong to a church that they don't support. And I doubt that this church is any different than the other church I've ever had anything to do with. There are great numbers of people that haven't darkened the doors for months and months and months. And let me tell you, the Lord is speaking to that group of people when God the Father is saying to Jesus Christ, Why is that tree still expanding? It's not producing. And the Lord is saying, Let's give him a second chance. Let me try a while. 
and I will cultivate them and dig around it and, and fertilize them and see if I can't get them to produce. If they won't, then fine, we'll cut it down. I believe there is many a church member in this world today who is still around because the Lord is still trying to get them to be productive. It's time to recognize the Lord as creator, as owner, as sustainer, and to respond to this love of Christ as he cultivates us and tries to get us to be productive. It is high time that we awake out of sleep and serve the Lord with all our heart and being. This world would certainly testify that this is not being done by the church today. We're in the vineyard and there for a purpose, and that is to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. He expects it. He requires it. And he's dealing with us to get us to be productive. How fruitful are you? Let me ask you if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've ever started producing at all. If you have not, if you don't know Christ as your Lord, today ought to be the day that you're willing to get out of your seat and come down this aisle and make that your testimony, saying, I am accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Now, if you're ashamed to do that, don't expect to get into heaven. Don't sit there and say in your mind and heart, well, I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to do better. You'll never do better until you face reality. And that is that you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. A change in one's life means nothing unless it is a change to accept Jesus Christ. If you don't know him this morning as your Savior, I don't care if you're a member of the church. I'm asking you if you know him as Lord and Savior. If you don't, I invite you to accept him as your Lord. If you do know him, but you have not been productive, you also ought to do the same thing. Confess your weakness and your failures and be willing to have enough fortitude, enough guts, if you please, to get out of your seat and come down here and make a physical commitment as you make a spiritual commitment to being fruitful for Jesus Christ. Would you do that as we close our service and pause for just a moment of prayer and we'll sing our invitation hymn. Our Father and our God, we look to you now for the outpouring of your Spirit upon this congregation. You know the condition of every heart. You know those that have not accepted you as Lord and Savior. And you know those who have not been fruitful. And we pray that you would touch hearts this morning and cause them to yield their life unto you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Number 187, just as I am, would you come as we sing? 187. I'll meet you down front. You need to make a commitment. Would you do it this morning? Shall we stand as we sing?
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.